really making sure that you have a foundation that allows you to scale is really important because what you can find is you could tap into something, but without good systems and processes behind the scenes, you're working 100 hours a week because you're having to manually send payment requests via Stripe and you're having to manually onboard someone into the system because you don't have it well documented and haven't been able to successfully delegate it to someone else. Welcome. You are listening to the Hero of the Hour podcast, the show dedicated to empowering you to take financial freedom into your own hands. Through expert interviews with decades of experience, this show will give you not only the tactical strategies of what's working in business, but the appropriate mindsets to master your financial future and build generational wealth. Heroes and entrepreneurs operate with a similar anything is possible mentality, and that is exactly what our show is about. Your host is none other than Mark B. Murphy, CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and best-selling author of three books, all dedicated to helping others plan for generational wealth. He and his team are on a mission to share their knowledge and techniques so that others can enjoy a life of financial security and freedom. Get ready to be inspired to create the life of your dreams. Let's go. In today's episode, our host, Mark Murphy, has a conversation with Nick Sonnenberg, a multifaceted personality. Nick is an entrepreneur, a Wall Street Journal bestselling author, an Inc. columnist, and a guest lecturer at Columbia University. As the founder and CEO of Leverage, a frontrunner in operational efficiency consultancies, he has designed the CPR Business Efficiency Membership, as outlined in his book, Come Up for Air. Nick's unique perspective on time, efficiency, and automation is a direct result of his eight-year tenure as a high-frequency trader on Wall Street. The CPR Business Efficiency Membership has proven to consistently deliver increased output, less stress, happier employees, and even the potential to gain an extra full day per week in productivity per person. This is achieved by simply utilizing the right tools in the right way at the right time. Nick's team has made significant strides across all industries, catering to organizations of all sizes, from burgeoning startups to Fortune 10 entities. During the episode, Mark and Nick dive into the latter's definition of a hero as someone willing to undertake uncomfortable tasks that many would shy away from. Listeners will get a glimpse of Nick's early entrepreneurial journey as he shares stories of selling figs from a local tree and baseball cards around his neighborhood. He also offers invaluable insights on the intricate pieces of the entrepreneurial puzzle, understanding your product or service, knowing your offering, pricing, and client base. Be sure to join in as Mark and Nick embark on this enlightening dialogue. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Mark Murphy, founder and CEO of Northeast Private Client Group. I'm here to talk to uh, a gentleman who is also an author. He's an entrepreneur. He's a uh, Wall Street Journal bestselling author of a book, uh, Up in the Air, and a guest lecturer at Columbia University. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Nick Sonnenberg. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Mark. Hey, you know, I, I call this podcast, Nick, the uh, Hero of the Hour podcast, because I like to have people on the podcast that are either, you know, heroes to me or heroes to other folks. And I always like to just kind of ask the question, you know, who are who are some of your heroes or or how do you describe a hero? I think I, I describe a hero as someone that's willing to do something uncomfortable that a lot of people wouldn't be be willing to do. And 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 oftentimes it's a selfless selfless acts that this person is willing to do. You know, I try to be a hero uh, to my team and to my, you know, to my my clients and potential clients. I'm trying to give back people the gift of time and you know, my company Leverage, we do operational efficiency training and consulting for people. So we're help, you know, ultimately we're trying to give people back an extra business day a week to do whatever they want with. And so in that respect, uh, I'm trying to be a hero to all employees inside of companies and all my clients and potential clients. You know, you know, you you promise almost like the holy grail, which uh, and and <laughs> you know, meaning it's about balancing you know work and life. And you know, I, I'd love, I, yeah. I'd love, I think people would love to hear some of the strategies that you've developed to kind of achieve that kind of work life balance and and wellness. 
Sure. Uh, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's, sure. it's, it's, it's clearly the, the Holy grail. Yeah. I mean, it's a cliche, but you know, time, time is our most valuable asset, you know, and you can just like money, you can spend time, um, you can invest time and there's a whole bunch of different things you can do with time. I, I, I laid it all out in my book. Here's a, he sent you a copy, Mark. I read it. It's, it's, it's a, I think anybody, anybody who's in business should read it. Yeah. So we lay out my framework in the book called CPR. Um, it stands for communicate plan and resource. It turns out there's, we've been doing this for a long time, Mark. We've probably helped thousands of companies at this point. It doesn't matter if you're listening right now, if you're a financial advisor, if you're a multi-billion dollar tech company, there's three buckets that you have to be thinking about to be efficient as a team. You need to first and foremost, communicate efficiently internally with your team, externally with clients and vendors. And there's different technologies that you can use uh, to do this. There, we recommend in the book, uh, you want to use email for external communication. So Outlook and Gmail should be external communication. And then tools like Microsoft Teams and Slack should be for internal. Um, next, you've got project management tools and planning. So that's the P. The example that I use is if you were to take your team camping in the forest, you would need walkie-talkies to communicate, but you'd also need map, a map to navigate out of the forest. And so you've got these walkie-talkie tools like Slack, Gmail, Outlook, Microsoft Teams, but you also need a map. So that's like Asana, Slack, uh, Asana, Monday, ClickUp, so on and so forth. Anything that you ask someone to do something by a certain date, that shouldn't be in a communications tool because it's You've probably been there before where it slips through the cracks and then you're chasing someone like, hey, I know I told Nick to do this. Well, if you texted it to me or emailed it to me, there's a high chance it's going to get lost because it's just put in the wrong... That tool isn't built for that purpose. And then lastly, you have your resources. So you have intellectual property, SOPs, processes. Your core values needs to be documented somewhere. How you onboard a new team member needs to be documented somewhere. And so there's different tools for that. You've got tools like Process Street to document process. And then you've got uh, digital wikis like Coda and Notion and Confluence and so on and so forth. So this might sound like a lot of different tools. you know. And if you're used to running your company on text or an email, it is additional tools. So it, it is more than just those one or two tools. But these things are fundamental. And if you want to have a high-performing team, you need to use tools built for purpose within each of those categories because they're such critical ca categories. You know, If you're going to take your team back to that forest and you wanted to chop down a tree, you could do it with a Swiss Army knife, but you're probably better off with a chainsaw. And so you want to use a chainsaw for communicating. You want to use the chainsaw of managing tasks and projects. You want to use a chainsaw for your company wiki. You don't want to just you know, hack it because it's easier to have one tool. And the name of the game with all of this stuff from a mindset shift is you want to be optimizing for retrieval of information in your team, not for transfer. When people get overwhelmed, I called my book, Come Up For Air, Stop, uh, Come Up For Air because everyone's drowning in work. And when you're drowning in work, you try to cut corners and you start playing hot potato with each other. It's like, hey, Mark, just take it. Here's a text or an email. There's no rhyme or reason. It's just whatever's fastest for you as an individual in the moment. But what happens when everyone's playing this game where everyone's optimizing for him or, for him or herself, the team as a whole is suboptimal. And so when everyone's just transferring as fast as possible, it makes it 10 times harder to find what you're looking for next week or next month. And in your personal life, you do something similar. When you, when you do your laundry, the fastest way to be done would be you take it out of the dryer and you throw it in one drawer. But you don't do that. You stop and you separate your socks in one drawer, your underwear in another, not because it's the fastest way to be done with laundry, but tomorrow when you need to put an outfit together, it's much faster to retrieve. So you've got all these different drawers in business, just like you have drawers for your clothes. And you have to be aligned with your team what drawer each different piece belongs to so it's easier to retrieve. Uh, that is, you know, one of, do you think most people are looking to retrieve one full day a week or they're looking to add 20% more to their to their day. What, what are most of your clients looking for? They just want any breathing room. When I tell them that I could probably give them back a full day, they think I'm crazy. You know, a lot of people are just like, man, if you could even give me back 10 minutes, that would be huge. Or 30 minutes, that would be huge. 
you know, if you had an extra 30 minutes a week to, to do more sales calls or whatever you need, you know, in a lot of cases, that's huge. So some people come to me because they need time savings um, and they're, they're completely overwhelmed. Some also come because their culture is being impacted. They, you know, trust has deteriorated across their team and they don't trust, you know, people on their team. And it's not that they don't trust that, you know, Bill is going to steal from them. They just don't trust that Bill is going to get the project done on time. And it might not be Bill's fault. It might just be that Bill doesn't have a good system to prioritize and track stuff. So they come to me because they both want to save time, but also want to uh, help improve their team's culture. You, know, you deal, I know, with some very, very large companies. If somebody's watching this podcast, how small an organization would sort of be the floor of somebody that that you, that, that would benefit from your company? Uh, I mean, honestly, you should start this stuff from the very beginning. Like, even if you're just by yourself, because even by yourself, learning how to use email properly is going to help you save a few hours a week. And the sooner that you could start documenting best practices, you know, you just start defining, this is the way we do payroll. This is the best practice of how we should do a sales call. This is how we should do this. You know, the sooner you can be replaced, the sooner you could hire the next person to get up to speed. So I don't think that there really is a floor. I think you could start the stuff from the very beginning. But if you're very early on, maybe you don't go too crazy with it and you just start implementing parts of it that are most strategic for you in your in your use case. But it's not a zero or one thing. The, the work that you do is so valuable because there are so many entrepreneurs that just have such great ideas and operationally, they're just a disaster. I mean, that's... I. You know, we we're we're key business strategists, critical thinkers, financial advisors to about four thousand entrepreneurs, and m- the majority of them are a hot mess. Even though they're even though even though they're very successful and very brilliant. And what size are they? And I'm I'm sure there's a huge variance. But what it's, size? It's a huge. It's a, you know we're certainly not in the Fortune one thousand world. Other than we do some work with some of the senior executives there, I would say most of ours are closely held entrepreneurial businesses with anywhere from you know. You know, a handful to maybe a thousand employees, a couple thousand employees. Yeah. I mean, look, complexity scales exponentially with team size. So, you know, you get to a thousand employees, that's some complexity there. You know, even if you get to a hundred, there's there's complexity. The sooner that you fix this stuff, the easier it is. And oftentimes people get to that size because not no one's like wishing, like, hey, my dream in life is to run a, a thousand person team. You know, if 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 you could run the same revenue, more profit, less headache with 500 people, most people would take the 500 option. So people add employees because they're looking for capacity. And usually hiring people is you know, the most expensive way to increase capacity because you have to pay for recruiting, onboarding, training, pay for a payroll. Um, and then you have the, the extra complexity of managing different people, more, exponentially more ways for information to slip through the cracks personalities to to balance so on and so forth so you know if if you could alternatively get more capacity out of everyone by just removing all the wasted scavenger hunt activities of crap that adds no value and you can get an extra 20 percent out of everyone maybe maybe that'll help you to not not need to add all this extra overhead one of the things i want to do is one of the things i want to do right after this call is i want to schedule time with 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 you and our partners to talk about how you can help our organization i uh oh well, ha- happy to how, how how big is your organization mark we're uh we're in the mid 30s in terms of employees okay that's that's a but, uh, great but, size but again when you when you say those things it's uh but we're scaling i think i would think that we'd uh, double in size over the next three years yeah and i think as you can see that complexity all the things you're talking about are just you know hitting me like a two by four across the yeah you know across the forehead yeah well, what if you could double the revenue but only increase your team by twenty percent? You know, wouldn't that be? Uh, wouldn't that you're be? A, you know, that's a, it's, it's almost unfair. It's a it's a it's your te- you're, you're, you got to deliver because it's it's that's the that's the that's the tease. <laughs> you know, wh- one of the things I was going to say to you though is that um, with so many with the pandemic, so many people virtual working to work. One of your specialties has been trying to you know building successful virtual teams. Tell me how, tell me what that looks like. I I think that the stuff that I talk about and all the stuff that we're helping businesses with, both in my book and and through leverage, it it holds true whether you're virtual, hybrid, or or in person. I I believe that 
tools like Slack. And, are you on Microsoft? Uh, we're, we're on uh, G- or we're Google. 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 So you so knowing how to use Gmail properly, you want to do that whether you decide tomorrow to go hybrid, virtual, or or stay co-located. Are you co-located? Uh, no, one. Your virtual? Uh, no, 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 we're we're. I apologize. We are, we in are person? one person, one floor. Uh, you know, uh, there's some people that work, you know, occasionally from home, but uh, the uh, this is the challenge. The challenge we have in our company is we've also got a lot of very bright, very talented, but also very young people and young with the organization. And it just seemed to seemed to me that I I've kind of old school and trying to one one of the, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on this podcast is kind of old school thinking that I needed to be here more often and I needed to make sure that I was there leading the team. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I think there may be alternative ways to accomplish the same thing. And I've got some limiting mindsets. I think that there's a lot of benefits to working in person from a culture standpoint, but I don't think that there's any difference of strategy in terms of wanting to leverage systems and tools properly. You want to do that whether you're in person or not. It's just if you're not in person, like you have zero chance if you're so, but and all, all roads still lead to, you want people to use Gmail properly. Like you want them to be getting the inbox zero and not wasting, we see three to five hours a week wasted time because people just don't know. Like we have a system called RAD, reply, archive, defer. Super simple to teach. That alone can help, can help someone save hours a week in email. It doesn't matter if that person's physically with you in the office or not. You want them to know RAD and not be wasting time. Same with tools like Slack or tools like um, a project management software. Whether you're in person or not, you still want people to know exactly, be able to click a button and know what should I work on today or what's the status of that client. You, you want all those things to be well organized. But you know, being being physically with people does build a a better sense of culture sometimes and 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 bonds people. So if you aren't all working in an office together, I would encourage, you know, like a quarterly meetup with at least your direct team so you still get that face to face cuz Zoom is great, but you know, there are limitations to it. Yeah, I'm uh it's become a great transportation device, but I uh you know, and by the way, I I think it's gone, you know, what was so great about Zoom in the pandemic is, you know, with technology, it's hard to get older people to embrace it. Zoom is embraced by 90-year-old grandparents. They talk to their grandchildren on it, so you don't have to teach them how to use it. But I believe that some of the magic does occur, not in the meeting, but after the meeting. It happens over drinks. It happens over a cup of coffee at the break. It, you know, that, And you don't get that on Zoom. You can't replicate that in any any place. Yeah. So I don't want to take away from that. Like I'm not one of these people that's like pure technology. Like you could be, we run a, a completely remote company and- you know, we've been we've been able to be successful at it, but it 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 did come with challenges, and we do have in person meetings so that we still can, you know, see people face to face and have that connectiveness. Tell me, what was the inspiration for writing "Come Up, Come Up," you know, for air? Uh, I I thought it was a really great book. I got a chance to read it. It got me excited about, you know, in fact, it didn't get me excited. It got me like. I felt like uh, I was I felt like I was getting beaten up by reading the book because I saw I, I kept seeing all of our shortcomings uh, as I read it. But uh, g- give me two or three or four takeaways of if somebody is, is thinking about buying that book or thinking about hiring your company, what would that what would the two or three takeaways that they would come from come up with air, come up for air? So I'll start with why I wrote the book. I wrote the book because I know firsthand what it's like to drown in work. My story is we we built leverage very quickly. At the very beginning, it was a freelancer marketplace that we grew to about 150 people on the team, seven figures of revenue, um, which sounds impressive, but made a lot of mistakes along the way. One of the mistakes was the org chart was just me and my co-founder. And then we had no no one underneath except for the 150 people. And we had a, we scaled prematurely. Uh, we We had a lot of debt. We were losing a lot of money. And so we really optimized just for this fast growth. And one day we were having coffee and he taps me on the shoulder and he tells me he's out not in two weeks or two days. He's out in two minutes. And, you know, I start sweating. I'm like, oh my God, like we probably are going to go bankrupt. Because again, although we had this superficial success under the hood, we had a lot of problems. And within three months, we lose 40% of clients. 
and team members for that matter. Bank accounts are getting frozen, cashing out my 401k. Dad's taking a second mortgage on his house. You know, I had to make a choice. Do we bankrupt this company or do I, do I um, clean it up? And I decided to clean it up. One, I thought it was unethical to a lot of people we owed services to still. And two, I, I could see where we were inefficient. And I, I was confident that I'd be able to turn it around. And so that was the genesis of this CPR framework that's the core of the book. And so I started for, for a period of time working very late nights and weekends, uh, cleaning things up. Um, and I started realizing like we needed to communicate better. We weren't able to you know, click a button and manage our tasks and projects as easily as we could be. Uh, we were pretty good already on the R of CPR, the documenting knowledge. And so very quickly, things started turning around. And then people started reaching out to me, asking me to consult them on their businesses. So I had the honor of working with like Tony Robbins reached out and um, Poopery and other interesting companies. And I found that everyone was having kind of very similar issues. And when you think about it, tools like Slack, Gmail has been around for a while, but Slack and Asana and all these tools are relatively new. And no one's ever been taught best practices of how to get the most out of these things. You know? These software companies, you know, they they just want you to use their software and they'll build how-tos, but they're not teaching you when to not use their software. You know, what problems does this not solve? They are just motivated to get you in there as much as possible. And then that starts making people adopt bad habits and you're using the wrong tool for the wrong problem. And so I saw this opportunity to create the playbook that could align people like what's the use case of each of these tools? Not just how to use the tools, but what's the but when to use the tools and the nuance of best practice. And so we decided to. I saw some crazy, crazy results from the work that we did, not just internally at Leverage, but also with our clients. And so we decided to pivot the entire model to become a training and consulting company for all these new modern tools because we saw the impact and it was a nice niche, niche that. There wasn't really any competitors then. Have you noticed that life is getting more and more expensive? From grocery prices to real estate values, everywhere you turn, prices seem to be skyrocketing. Well, Mark has dedicated decades of his career and life to serving entrepreneurs and professionals to build real wealth. And in most cases, multi-generational wealth. The reality is, we all have to navigate turbulent times in this economy. But the difference will be for those that have a roadmap and a customized plan for building wealth. That's why, as a listener to this podcast, we are so excited to share with you first access to Mark's newest book, The Ultimate Investment, a roadmap to grow your business and build multi-generational wealth. When you access this book, you'll discover how to know when you're working a job instead of a business. That hard work isn't all about hours put in. This will make you more productive. Why you need to live with your back against a wall. How to surround yourself with the right people who support your vision. And so much more. Go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book to get access now. Once again, go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book. And now, back to the show. You know, one of the things I, I appreciate is the the battle scars. You know, the fact you're thinking about going bankrupt, you're you're thinking about getting your parents up a second mortgage, you're thinking about all these other things. You're thinking probably, you know, and and by the way, I'm I'm of the firm belief that entrepreneurs are an endangered species, meaning that you know when we grew up, people that were hardworking, worked hard, and were successful were the people to look up to, and now in some play, some parts of our society, there are people that are, you know. Are are scorned, and I, I think America to succeed needs, and the world needs great entrepreneurs like you. You know, I'm a serial entrepreneur myself. Um, do you think entrepreneurs are they born or are they made? Um, I think it's probably a bit of both, but I think I think I was born an entrepreneur. I mean, like you know, even from like a young age, you know, those stories like I'm selling figs around the block, off, <laughs> you know, I was picking off the fig tree, and you know, selling baseball cards and other things. So I always had entrepreneurial spirit and, you know, risk tolerance. So I think that there's just, I think that there is a personality trait there that you kind of either have or you don't have, but. Well, you sort of let's left something good 
to move to something that was great. It sounded like when you shifted yeah. your your business your business model, and well, and obviously some very famous and successful people have have uh, have bought into to to uh, all of the wonderful things that you you guys are doing. Yeah. Um, I, the other thing too is I also liked when I was talking and reading about your ability to uh, collaborate and build successful, you know, business relationships. I think that's something that everybody wants to do, but I'm not sure everybody does it as well as they could. Well, I forget who told me this. It might have been uh, Dorbin Harbinger from the Art of Charm podcast. I think he said. Might have been, I think it was him. You know, you could go bankrupt and the IRS could take all of your money, but they can't take away your network. And that really stuck with me. You know, I think that my, my biggest asset is my, my network and my relationships that I have. And as that relates to efficiency and systems, part, a big part of the reason why I, you know, why I feel like I, I have good relationships and strategic relationships, a lot of it is, because I have good systems to make sure that I'm keeping in touch with the people I want to keep in touch with. And if you tell me after this, like you would love to have that PDF on, you know, how to get to inbox zero, I have a place to take, to, to, to note that. And you could bet your life on it that you're going to get that. So I have high follow through. I I'm able to track kind of the people that I need to be getting in touch with and not. And you know, a combination of a whole lot of different things, I've been able to maintain, you know, very valuable, meaningful relationships. And I, I view that as my biggest asset. That is, it's interesting. And you spend a lifetime investing in those relationships. I've, uh, you know, I, th I think one of the things I try to t teach our advisors is that investing in those, uh, you know, that one of the things if you take, if you, if you, you know, I've, I've been with Dan Sullivan, uh, mostly on for since 1994, and one of the things that became so clear working with Strategic Coach was that I decided I wanted to be a hero to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinking people. And we've just developed a network around people who want to be a hero to the same group and created some entrepreneurial synergy of just being able to, you know, I mean, you know, as I, as I said, you know, one of the one of the interesting things I'm 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 interested in working with your company with is one is I want to be able to help continue to transform my company. But more importantly, when that works. I then now have another tool to then help transform other companies that people were working with. Yeah. And then, you know, then it's, you know, it's who, not how, who, you know, who do we need to collaborate with to create that, uh, that, uh, that, 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 that Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You also talk a lot, uh, talk a little bit about scaling, uh, you know, and lessons you've learned from growing multiple successful companies. Uh, care to comment on that? Well, I think that I've learned a lot of lessons. Um, and I guess success, everyone has their own uh, definition. But I think that one big lesson that I learned was premature scaling can almost cripple you. And, uh, you know, not to be promoting operational efficiency the, the whole time here, but really making sure that you have a foundation that allows you to scale is really important because what you can find is you could tap into something, but without good systems and processes behind the scenes, you're working 100 hours a week because you're having to manually send payment requests via Stripe and you're having to manually onboard someone into the system because you don't have it well documented and haven't been able to successfully delegate it to someone else. And so my advice would just be that it's always a balance of top line revenue efforts and bottom line revenue efforts and the optimal allocation of what percentage of your time you're spending on top line versus bottom line will be a different mix depending on where you're at in your in your life cycle but it you need to be aware that it you know maybe you're choosing to put zero percent into foundation that's fine maybe there's a reason but you know usually it should be at least you know five percent ten percent that you're always kind of thinking about it and maybe if you're more mature and you you can afford to maybe that should go to 30 percent 40 percent depending on cases but I think just being aware that everything that you're doing right now to optimize for your top line revenue is effort and energy away from doing something that helps you, you know, strengthen that foundation to scale further. And so it's a, just a trade-off. What else? The question was, what have I learned in my scaling? I, as another thing I've learned is, you know, every business you have attraction, conversion, and retention. 
you know, attractions, marketing, conversion, sales, retention. If you're especially in a service business, you know, it's retaining your clients. If you're in a software business, it's, you know, what percentage of people stick around continuing to pay you that recurring revenue. Most people, at least I, in the early days, you know, the marketing is the sexy stuff. You know, people like, how big is your email list? How big is your following? And so it's easy to get sucked into the trap of going from left to right and starting with attraction and then figuring out conversion, then figuring out retention. But what I realized and what shifted my entire strategy when we almost went bankrupt is we're going to go right to left. And actually, when, when the crap hit the fan, I actually shut off marketing and sales, which was very counterintuitive. And most people thought I was insane. But I said, look, we have a retention issue here. Like We're not actually servicing the clients to the quality that they're expecting. And so you know, we were growing at like 20% a month, but 15% were leaving every month. So we were net growing 5% a month, but it was good marketing masking an underlying problem. So when my business partner left, I was just stuck with 15% churn each month. That's a pretty uncomfortable place to, to be stuck with. So you can't fix all problems at the same time. And that churn was a function of not having found product market fit and having correct processes to successfully deliver you know, the freelancer services that we had back then. And so I just put all efforts into that and shut off marketing and, and uh, sales. Once we started, once we got that under control and that let me know, okay, we're actually de- uh, delivering a, a high value product now. Okay, well now let's work on sales. Uh, because like, what's the point of acquiring leads if you can't convert them? And what's the point of converting them if you can't retain them? So. You know, I think going from right to left and focusing on retention first, then moving on to conversion. And then once, once you are pretty confident that every phone call that comes in, that you're going to be able to convert them and have them stay, you know, then put gasoline on the fire and figure out the marketing channel. You know, one of the things that's a little controversial, I think, is I think that for most people who are entrepreneurs, they want to lift up the lives of all the people they touch. And that's under their customers or their clients. It's the people that work with them. It's that it's a higher purpose for most people in terms of running their business. And I think there's so many good things. Like people would want to give everybody a chance and they want diversity and they want inclusion and they want a, a great place to work. We want people enjoy a you know, highly productive environment of where to work. But as the world is shifting, is there do you think there is an overreaction to sort of the woke? strategies. I think we're reading in the papers today that you know several of the banks that have collapsed, they collapsed because of woke policies. They got out of the banking business and into the woke business. You know, or you know I mean it's, I, it's a weird question to ask me because like I also come from a banking background and like I come from a high I used to be a high frequency trader on Wall Street for eight years. So I come from you know like just get the work get the work done. You right. Know? Like they're as long as I'm making money, like everything's fine. And we all respected each other. But a lot of this stuff that is happening now, I'm just, I don't know. Yeah. I think that some of it is helpful, but I think a lot of it, I think there's been almost like an overcorrection and sometimes people are leaning on the woke stuff. It almost feels like as an excuse to, to, to not work hard or to not get work done. So I think it's a slippery slope and, and entrepreneurs and business owners are in a, a tricky spot with it. But, you know, we're also living through like a, a weird economy right now and there's a lot of layoffs happening and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think a lot of people in these positions, they might get laid off because, you know, the company's just not performing where it needs to and clients aren't coming in like they like they used to. And so maybe maybe there'll be like a middle ground that we land with all this woke stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, it's like, I see the pendulum swinging a couple of years ago was if you were not woke, you're a corporation being sued. And now you're seeing a comeback where they're now suing, starting to sue corporations for woke policies that cost shareholders value. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, you the, out, and, huh? and, and like, it's like, you're like, you're damned. If you do, you're damned. If you don't, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I find, you know, I find, you know, you, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, and I, fi- I find like the, the most important thing, and I, and I told you, we were in the mid thirties in our organization, but, but part of the organization is, is making sure that you get the right people in the organization. I mean, you remember there's probably 10% of the world that's, that's looking to be 
insulted. <laughs> you don't need them in your organization, or you're yeah. you know you need people that have the right culture and the right fit. But I, 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 I want to run a highly ethical company. I want to give everybody opportunity. I want to create abundance in every area of my life. But I, I also you know I, I'm also I'm not a big Star Wars guy, but I love the Yoda quote. You know, do or don't do. There is no try. You know, and I think sometimes that, that a lot of these uh, issues kind of kind of mask performance because we spend a lot of time doing things other other things like that. So I'd love to figure out a way where America get to a balance where we could be inclusive and still still be as highly efficient and the most efficient people in the world. Uh, yeah, like I agree. Like you need to be respectful. You have to be. You have to respect people and so on and so forth. I really believe in OKRs and setting kind of clear objectives with people so you can measure their performance. But yeah, I, I don't agree with the overly woke um, stuff that I'm seeing out there where it seems like there's just people wanting to complain all day long and, you know, lean on that versus getting their work done. Yeah. Anything else that you think that if somebody's watching this, you'd say, you know, they're trying to build, I, I think virtually everything you've talked about, I think makes a lot of sense. Virtually every company is trying to build high performing teams. Do you, as you, in your experience, are these entrepreneurs properly prepared for that? I guess it matters. There's different aspects to high performing teams. You know, improving your culture will help improve your performance. Improving your operational efficiency, which is the aspect we're, we're focused on will help with it. You know, doing proper objectives and key results so people really understand what matters most and what they're going to be held accountable to. So there's a lot of different dimensions to it. And I think they're all important. And, you know, entrepreneurs, especially if you're early, early on, there's a lot that you got to do. You have to, you know, figuring out your product or your service and hitting product market fit, knowing your offer and your pricing and who are your clients and where do you find it? Like all of those are, are essential early on. But, you know, once you kind of have cracked that, then, you know, establishing that core team, you know, do you have the right people on the bus? Are they, are they on the right seat? What's your culture and how do you actually work together? Which is the part that I'm, you know, you know, more of an expert in, I think they're all important pieces to the puzzle and you, you can't not be thinking about, any one of those pieces. You know, Richard Branson talks about, you know, they ask him, does he have a business life and does he have a personal life? He goes, no, I just have a life yeah. where I'm doing all the things I want to do all the time. <laughs> and I, I would say that, you know, I, well, my life maybe is- he's, Maybe he's a good hero example. Yeah, I, you know, and that's what he talks about. And I, but I think, I think, first of all, I think if you're an entrepreneur, you have to at some level like business. You know, I, I like business, I you know, but I, I love my downtime. I love spending time with my family and my, you know, with Lisa and the kids and, you know, and and friends. And I love going, you know, I, I, I'm a little exhausted today because I, I drove uh, drove home in the middle of the night watching my Hoosiers lose the NCAA tournament last night. Who did uh, they play? Uh, Miami. Hmm. We started off poorly and we took the lead uh, early in the second half and didn't didn't happen. Where did you go? The, it's at the Kelly School of Business over yeah. there? Yeah. And... Uh, it was it was great. It was terrific. So another disappointing season, but uh, mm -hmm. so I'm I'm not only tired, I'm disappointed today. Well, but uh, you talk a lot about achieving success and fulfillment. Yep. What does that mean? So for me, you know, I like what you were saying about Richard Branson. It's like, you know, it's not about work life balance. It's work life integration. And how can I spend as much time as possible on things that give me joy? Or, or, you know, Dan Sullivan words, you know, tap into my unique ability, but intellectually stimulating. Like how much of, how much of my time do I, do I spend on things that give me joy or are intellectually stimulating and what I value to be high value time slots. And it's really that it's not necessarily like if I hit for me, like if I'm making a hundred million a year, but I'm overweight and I'm unhealthy and I'm not spending any time with people I want to spend with, that wouldn't be success to me. You know, someone making a hundred thousand dollars a year, but you know, is living the life that they want to live and you know, in good shape, in good health, not stressed. 
you know, spend time reading books and intellectually stimulated, I'd, I'd rather be that person. So I think it's really just, you have to define for yourself what you're trying to optimize for. For me, it, you know, I think money is a great way to get more freedom. Um, so there's definitely financial goals, but at the end of the day, if I can work with who I want on what I want, when I want, I'm spending time with people I want to spend time with on a personal level. I can uh, engage in hobbies. Like I love playing chess. You know, if I can play speed chess in Washington Square Park, and you know that's fun for me. If I'm in good good health, you know, I'm working out almost every day. You know, like that that for me is is my success. It doesn't necessarily have to be a dollar amount. I think people have said that what the I thought it was described pretty well where they talked about the four things you need in life. You need health. You need wealth. You need purpose and you need love. Mm-hmm. And I and I think, you know, too many people that that I've run into over the years thought they had to give up one or two to get the others. And mm-hmm. I think and I think to me to me a successful and a fulfilling life would be to have all four of those things. And not that one or two of them don't get out of balance from time to time, but you can kind of monitor it almost like your blood chemistry, you know, trying to trying to get them in, in line. But I think doing the things that you doing the things that you want to do, and doing when you want to do, how you want to do it, and 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 there, and I, I think so few people get to that in life. They're always on someone else's time frame, and I think one of the great things about being an entrepreneur is you, you know, call the shots. Pros and cons, because sometimes it's pretty lonely. But <laughs> yeah. how, how about that? With, with you've got you talk about a network though, but do you have people like I? I would. Uh, I would used to to talk to uh, you know, like early on in my career. I I would uh, I would never. I had a couple of buddies that I would never call them when I when I when some big deal went down or something amazing happened. I would always call them when I just got my ass kicked. So I'd call them on the phone, tell them what happened, and then five minutes later we'd be laughing about the whole thing and just you know yeah. just go oh, what an asshole that guy was or what a, oh can you imagine this happened or that happened and that that's part of your network is also a support group. Yeah, for sure. And I'm 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 very uh, grateful. Like I have some very close people to me, you know, you mentioned strategic coach. Um, I do a monthly call with Shannon Waller and we talk business. Um, me too. Oh, you do? Yeah. She's great. Um, Lee Brower, who's also a coach is one of, one of my dear friends. Actually, when, when I had my business partner break up and, uh, he was calling a bunch of clients, telling him to go and work with him, all the kind of VIP clients, Lee Brower was one of them. And it was crazy. I lost 40% of clients in three months. Everyone just went to work with my ex-business partner. Lee was the only person that called me out of the blue and said, look, I, I, I know you from a load of wood, uh, but I just got this weird call and I know there's two sides to a story. I want to hear what's going on from your side. And that kicked off this beautiful friendship. And Lee and I have done workshops together and I go to his group and speak and he comes to my group and speak and we do a, a bi-weekly call. Jay Abraham, me and him are very close friends. If I've got business questions, I'll go to him. And me and him are launching a podcast, which it would be great to have you on our podcast. We're doing these fun hot seat style podcast um, things where people come with a business challenge or something they want to brainstorm. And we just do a brainstorming session and we record it as a podcast. And the, like my official mentor is uh, Chip Conley. He was the chief strategy officer of Airbnb. He wrote a, a book called Peak. And we do we do a check-in. So I, I'm very grateful that I've got some extremely smart people in my in my network that I can lean on to get advice from as needed. Well, I don't think there's any, uh, I mean, if, again, that's Dan, you know, if you, if you want to see your life in 10 years, it's the books you read and the people you hang out with and people say, people, people, people change it. But I think you're the average of the 10 people you hang out with the most, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, sure. Who are your mentors? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, clearly Dan, uh, having been in the program almost exclusively for close to 30 years has transformed how I've thought. It's allowed me to really elevate thinking. The other thing too, is I had some very powerful fortune 500 CEOs and C-suite folks who, when I was very young in my twenties and early thirties, I think they worked so hard. They didn't have the best relationship with their kids. And I became almost like an adopted son, (laughs) you know, know, now that I'm, you know, much older, but but those folks really taught me business, took me under the wing, and showed me how to how to run that pro, run that business. And you know, and and I, and I think the other thing too is I I'm at the point now in my businesses where I only 
get involved in places where I can move the needle, where I probably have an, a board seat or one of our group has a board seat on that company or more. And it's it's with a group of people that we not only like each other, we know how to execute, we trust each other, and we're you know you know we're you know I, I you know I, I love that I I love that when I'm looking at a different company to buy or I'm looking at trying to make my company more efficient, I I know that I've got like four or five guys that I trust that I can sit down and go, they're going to tell me the truth like is this bullshit or where's the possibility what am I missing here here's what I see it, you know can I, you know. And help me kind of think through that process, and then I, you know, obviously you keep your own counsel open to their their own their own advice. Um, gotten very heavily involved in politics, so it, 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 you know I'm, you know I obviously I've got some folks in the uh, in the lobbying, and you know obviously in you know governors and senators and congressmen that we've you know done a lot of work with that I can can lean on, and and I, and I think the other the other thing I also so trust is uh, is that you know that that ultimately the most important thing is you want people that i i i'm thick skinned not that i don't have feelings but i'm thick skinned and so one of the things i prize in people is i don't want anybody to embarrass me publicly i don't want anybody to call me out or you know do any things that would cause that kind of a, that kind of reaction but but i really appreciate people who can be new york direct with you and say hey mark i don't think you're looking at this clearly or this is, you know, and and put it in perspective for me because there's so many people out there, you know, Nick, you've been very, very successful. So for every person you find like that, you'll probably find 20 people that'll say, you're beautiful, baby, you're fantastic, you know, because there are things that you can do to help their business. And and I think when, you know, sometimes when you've got the ability to, to support and help a lot of people, you don't always get the straight information back from people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so, you know, so when I ask you a question, I want you to tell me, even if it might be temporarily hurtful, I won't make it about you. I'll make it about my behavior or my decision-making uh, where, if, you know, where if we work together on your systems and processes, we'll be as straightforward as <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it. I'm not, I'm not looking to feel good. I'm looking to yeah. build the world-class organization. Oh. It's or, but there, but there are a lot of people like that in that way. Like I always ask Nick, like when I'm coaching people, I go, Nick, do I have the, your permission to coach you? <laughs> and, you know, and can I, and and a few times I've had that permission to coach people, and they were like, if they didn't cry, they want to. I don't know if they're going to punch me in the nose or cry, but it, <laughs> but it was but it was uh, yeah. And and I wasn't trying to be cruel. I was trying to be kind, well, but trying actually, to help them. It'd be doing them a disservice and hurting them if you didn't do that. But yeah, but it's you know, there's there's a there's a lot of lot. Of, by the way, there's a lot of coaches out there that it's about the feel good, and it's not about the work sometimes. And I and I think I'd rather. You know, I'd rather, and again, I think you need to know your audience, you know, but I'm also, I also know when, you know, when uh, Lisa asked me, does that dress make me look fat? And I say, it's not the dress. That's not the right answer either. You know, I'm asking, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the dress. Uh, but, by, by the way, she is very fit and thin, so she will not be offended by that, uh, <laughs> by that, by that uh, conversation. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it's, but so, so I, I just think it's, I, I appreciate, I appreciate you. I think that oh, I would just end this by saying, I, I think that anybody that I know should read the book, Come Up From Air. I think I'm going to order. In fact, one of the things I'm going to be inspired today to do, Nick, is order you know, uh, uh, some more copies that I can get out to some friends that I think would benefit from the work right. because uh, everybody's suffering for the problems that you discuss. And I just want to take, thank you for taking time out of your really busy schedule to spend a few minutes with oh, me. Thank you very much. Um, I respect you as a person and entrepreneur, so it was a pleasure being on. And if you need more books, just reach out. We we get a discount through the distributor so we can get you a bunch of copies if you need any. Oh, that, that's great. Uh, I'll, uh, I'd like to, uh, you know, one of the things I'd like to do is I'd like to, you know, I don't know if you're the right person or not, but I, I was serious about that as I'd like to have my organization, I don't know if it's consulting with you or one of the folks yeah. on your team about what we do next. Well, we'll set up a, a separate call. We could, we could talk about that, but yeah, thanks. absolutely. Um, well, thanks for having me on. And um, if if people do want to get the copy of the book, it's on Amazon, but also we set up a website and we both worked with Amber who put my website together. She's awesome. Uh, and that's comeupforair.com. There's a bunch of additional free resources that we put together that go along with the book. So if you go there, you can find where to buy the book, but also all the free resources. And then for our services, uh, getleverage.com is, is, is the training and consulting company. So we've got different uh, training programs and all the different tools we talk about. Yeah, we, I, I guess that's our, you know, people who are listening should know that, 
you know, we, we have a lot of commonalities and we have a lot of common friends and uh, other things like that. In fact, I sit on the board of one of the companies Tony Robbins founded. Oh, really? Uh, so, so I think if we got together over a few cocktails, we would, uh, we would, we we would have a lot of connections that we we don't even know. But, but, but the way we met was Amber Vilhauer from NGNG, and I will tell you, she's a stone cold killer. She's so, crazy. She's, yeah, she's she's got good energy. I mean, we spoke to a bunch of people, and then like when I interacted with her, I'm like, okay, I know that I can go to war with you for like the next because it's doing a book. It's like it's insane the amount of work. So I'm like, do I want to spend four months of my life with? this person and you know she's she's just she's sharp and has great energy yeah i, I agree as you do as well thank you for being here and uh we appreciate you and i will be in touch on those other issues sounds good thanks for thanks nick me, all right bye-bye bye. i hope you enjoyed the episode today on the hero of the hour podcast make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on if this episode made you think of someone Go ahead, take a screenshot and share the podcast episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode and more at www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to check out the other great books and resources on the website while you're there. Once again, it's www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. All links can be found in the description below. We look forward to serving you on the next episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS or Guardian, and opinions stated are their own. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ, 200 Broad Hollow Road, Suite 405, Melville, New York, 11747, 631-589-5400. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Northeast Private Client Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0B36048. Arkansas Insurance License Number 741545. Expiration and submission numbers located in the show notes.